What is up, ladies and gentlemen? We are back once again with another episode of Pocket Around. As always, I am your host, Noah Dog Dibor, joined by my good friend and co-host, Guard Charger Patrick, talking NHL playoffs. Um, we're going to go over our predictions uh, for the second round later. We're going to obviously predict conference finals, review each series in the second round. Uh, we'll also be talking about the draft lottery later on, very end of the show. But before we get into all that, how are you doing tonight, my friend? Uh, wicked fired up to be on here, talk some hockey. Um, um, looks like Garth was interrupted there for a second. He'll probably be right back in, in a couple minutes. Um, but yeah, while we wait for him to oh, actually, while we wait for him to get back, there was something I forgot to do. Let me just do that real quick. Um, let me do that. But, yes, we're going to talk about the Hurricanes beating the Devils, obviously. The Panthers destroying, destroying the Maple Leafs. I was completely wrong in that series. Uh, the Golden Knights beating the Oilers in six. And the Stars uh, outlasting the Kraken in seven games. Very good series. Um, I think I did actually have that, that game going – or that series going to seven games. Um, so we'll go over predictions a little bit later in the show after we talk about each of those series, general thoughts on each series. Um revisit our records for the predictions so far these playoffs which um have not been the best because these playoffs have been pretty insane honestly um and then we're after that we're going to talk about um, some salary cap stuff a good topic there that we'll talk about later in the show and then the draft lottery which happened last monday um but we did not do a show last tuesday because other than the draft lottery really wasn't anything to talk about um i think garth is back now let me add him real quick there you go. You good, man? Yep, I'm back. I'm good. All right. Uh, got a couple comments coming in already. Guard saying, "Woo!" because he's fired up as always. And then uh, Jennifer Kate says, hey, Nolan Garth. What's up, Jen? How are you doing tonight? Um, hey, Jen. What's up? How are you? Uh, let's see. All right. I've got like, I think I, did I post this the wrong thing? Man, we're off to a terrible start tonight. I posted the thing. I want to post the comments in the private chat. Um but yes, uh, Garth, we got a lot to talk about tonight. Uh, we're going to go in order of series by order of least competitive to most competitive. So we'll start with the one that, I, in my opinion, was by far the least competitive, which was the Hurricanes and the Devils. Uh, Hurricanes beat the Devils in five games. And if you look at the scores uh, for these games, Garth, out of all the games, there was only one game that was really close, which is game five, which Carolina won in overtime. But the other four games... Uh, we're all blowouts. Carolina won game one, five to one. Uh, game two, six to one. And they also won game four to six to one. Uh, the, the Lone Devils win was in game three, eight to four, a game where they gave up three shorthanded goals, funny enough. That's kind of kind of a strange stat uh, to get in such a lopsided victory. But um, yeah, you know, Garth, got to put my hands up. Uh, I got this series completely wrong. I thought, I think I had this Devils winning this in something like six games. I know you picked the Devils as well. Um, evidently that was not the case. Carolina went out and dare I say, absolutely boat raced them off the ice. It wasn't even close. I mean, I think, you know, big storylines, Akira Schmid, who was, you know, kind of the unsung hero in round one, once he came in, uh, Carolina just absolutely lit him up in the series. Martinuk absolutely went off, uh, fast. Even Jordan Stahl, you know, old Jordan Stahl, he had six points in five games. Kokiemi was point per game. Um, how about, how about good old Brent Burns as well? You know, the old man, I know a lot of people, Myself included, we're kind of questioning that acquisition when it happened in the offseason. But uh, he's been great so far in the playoffs. Slavin was really good as well. Um, Frederick Anderson, who, you know, the the um, 
narrative with him in the past is actually been struggling in the playoffs, but in this uh, round, he had a 918 save percentage, um, did very well. Uh, this series, Garth, wasn't even close. I- I'm looking at the devil stats right here. Some of their minus players, Jack Hughes, Andre Palat, your guy, Nico Hiche, Luke Hughes, John Marino, Jesper Brat, Dougie Hamilton, who was a minus 10, by the way. I mean, Eric Hall, minus 7, Tatar, minus 7. These are some of, you know, their big pieces, and um, they just got absolutely steamrolled. Like I said, Schmidt got lit up the whole series. Uh, Jesse Allen says the boys are back in town. Go Cats, go. <laughs> we will get to the Panthers very soon, but Garth, what were your general takeaways from the series? Because, you know, I thought – I wouldn't say I thought it was impossible the Hurricanes would win. I thought it was, a you know, pretty toss-up type of series. I didn't think it'd go five games either way. So the fact Carolina didn't just only win in five games, they won all their games other than game five rather convincingly, I think we got to kind of revisit our expectations on them because I know, you know, coming in the playoffs, we both kind of hesitant about them. Um, but at least going off what they did in round two – uh, they're playing their best hockey at the most important time of the year. Yeah, I think uh, Mr. Rob Brindamore must have been tuned into the show a few weeks back, got a soundbite of me uh, basically throwing his canes under the bus, talking about how, you know, they look like the same old canes of old where they're in the playoffs, but they're just barely struggling to squeak out wins, you know, probably playing down to their competition, did not look dominant by any means like they did in the regular season. Uh, played that on repeat in the locker room and just went out and absolutely beat the brakes off of the New Jersey Devils. There was that one game, uh, you know, where the the Devils won and won pretty handedly, and I was like, oh shoot, we might have a uh, a series now. And then just like that, the Canes came right back out the next night and and put it back to them. Uh, but you know, it's just a lot of guys playing good for this team. No, it's not one or two guys that you go, you know, that's the main reason they won that series. You listed off a lot of them, even the older guys like Burns, you know, playing really, really well, you know, and I question that acquisition as well, but he's uh, he's holding up his side of the bargain. I know a lot of people have been really impressed, and actually he's one of the guys leading the way for Con Smythe odds and Sebastian Ajo. Um, but really a, a collective uh, unit, Kakanami's playing really good, obviously Ajo as well. Um, you know, Nate Chase I think has been really good. What's really impressive, Noah, and he's looking like he should be back for this Eastern Conference Finals, uh, Tara Vinen. They have not had this guy, and that's going to be a huge, huge addition. Um, You know, the Canes are looking like the team to beat right now, in my opinion. I think, you know, uh, none of these other teams really left. I mean, well, I guess you could say Panthers with Toronto, but a lot of those games were really close. I think the Hurricanes are kind of looking like the most intimidating team right now just because – they just dispatched to the, the Devils so easily in five games. Like you said, I wouldn't have seen this one going five to either side. I mean, you could definitely convince me that the Canes were going to win, but to win in five games and with the exception of one loss, just outraced them. I didn't did not see that one coming. Yeah, no, I'm with you. I mean, and like you said, Garth, it's a lot of guys that you wouldn't really expect to be producing for the Hurricanes. You know, Ajo and Neches. Uh, Net just had three points in five games. He was a plus four, and, you know, Ajo kind of the same kind of thing, three points. But, you know, like I said, Martin, like, ten points in five games uh, is just absolutely ridiculous. Uh, you know, Foston Stall, like I said, even Seth Jarvis uh, adding in two goals and two assists uh, was a plus three. But, um, yeah, I mean, it, it's just their depth has been really good. They, they're they getting scoring from guys you probably wouldn't expect. 
Um, and they're playing the hardest at the right time. Now, what I will say, the only thing I would really question about Carolina going forward, um, their offense is doing well. I love their defense. It's just can Frederick Anderson keep this up? Because this is by far the best I can ever remember him playing in the playoffs, at least this late. He's had, you know, moments here or there where he's looked pretty good, but, you know, a lot of inconsistency. Uh, this this series, he was terrific. Um, but the other side for the Devils, um, I mean, it's been a great season for him, don't get me wrong. They win so many games as they did, win their first playoff series in over 10 years. Uh, but this series, I mean, was just an embarrassment. In all factors of the game, right, they just got steamrolled pretty much, which um, there's no shame, I think, in losing to a good team like the Hurricanes. But the fact they lost so convincingly, um, definitely something they're not going to be happy about for, about for a while. Uh, Jen says, I think it's going to be the Canes versus Vegas in the finals. Very possible, but I will say, and we'll get, we'll get to our prediction a little bit, uh, I think both series are complete toss-ups. I think both could very easily go seven games. Um, I think I don't – of course, I could be wrong. We thought this would be a close series, and it wasn't. But um, at least on paper and from what I've seen so far, I think they'll both be very close series. Burns or Hamilton, who would you have taken in free agency? See, if we're just going on age, I'd say Hamilton. But based off performance, I mean, Brett Burns, it looks like he's playing like he's 28 rather than he's 38. What do you think about that question? Yeah, I think obviously right now with the hindsight, you got to go with Burns because he's playing absolutely phenomenal. But for me, trying to be as unbiasedly as possible because I'm not a huge Dougie Hamilton guy, um, I would say I probably would have taken Dougie Hamilton just because of the fact that um, – you know, he probably gives you a little bit more longevity. You know, I would have felt like this is a guy who's got a little bit more left in the tank uh, than Brett Burns has. And obviously I would be wrong, and this is why I'm not an NHL GM, uh, but that would have been kind of my thought process behind it. Just it's crazy how good of a year both of them had, though, especially Burns still going strong in the playoffs. The old man's out there playing like a young dog again. Yeah, I mean – in, and like you said, I think it's a two-part question. I think if you're talking long-term, then obviously with age-wise, it'd have to be Hamilton. But right here, right now, I mean, it's Brent Burns and probably has been Brent Burns at least the last five, six years with how great he's been playing. Um, Hamilton had a great year this year, don't get me wrong, but uh, he did not have a good playoff series against the Hurricanes. Only one is left in the playoffs. That is true as well. Um, moving on to the next series, Garth, I know this is one you're going to be pretty fired up about. The Toronto Maple Leafs uh, getting absolutely demolished by the uh, Florida Panthers. This is one I was wrong on as well. I thought this would be a close, closer series than this, and I did actually have the Leafs uh, pulling it out. But, uh, no, this was not the case. Now, I will say, Garth, even though this game was – or this series was also five games, it was a lot closer because I thought the games were very close. Well, looking at the scores here, uh, game one, four to two Panthers. Game two, three to two Panthers. Game three, the Panthers won 3-2 in overtime. Game four was 2-1 Leafs. And game five, the Panthers also won that in overtime, 3-2. So, you know, out of those games, Gar, four one-goal games, but the Panthers were 3-1 and one in those games. Um, key key standouts, uh, obviously Kachuk had five assists, no goals, but he was also a plus five. I thought he was great. Your guy, Carter Verhage, three goals in the series, was also a plus three. I really liked what I saw from Duclair, who also added four points. Sam Reinhart had the game-winning goal, I believe, in game three it was, uh, in overtime to put them up three to nothing. Ekblad was also point per game at defense. Um, but by far, Garth, I think the biggest standout of the series, the guy no one would have expected to even be before the playoffs because he wasn't even their starter, 
in game one around run. Bobrovsky, Sergei Bobrovsky was absolutely incredible in this series. Four and one record, 943 save percentage to shut down a Leafs offense that, you know, has some good top weapons. But Garth, here's a little stat for you. Between Nylander, Marner, Matthews, and Tavares, that top four we always talk about, nine points for the entire series combined between those four players in five games. Their leading scorer was Morgan Riley, who's one of their defensemen with four points. Um, and another storyline for the Leafs, Samsonov getting replaced midway through the series. Joseph Wall started games four and five. And he's much better. He had a 921 save percentage compared to an 892 for Samsonov in this series. But by then, it was too little too late. And I got to say as well, um, very disappointed with Toronto's offense. Just could not score at all in this series, it felt like. And credit to Bobrovsky, played great. But uh, the Leafs offense, for all the money they have tied up into it, I was – very disappointed with their output, but at the same time, credit to the Panthers. Um, we knew they were coming in the series playing on house money, right? Because a lot of people expected that the Bruins kind of mow through them. And then once they took out the Bruins, it's like, well, anything goes from here on out. Um, I got to hold my hands up and say I've very heavily underestimated the Panthers in these playoffs so far. Um, <laughs> people should be very wary to do that from here on out. But uh, what were your main takeaways from this series, Garth? The, the Panthers beating the Leafs up. Yeah, definitely very excited that not only did they win, but they kind of, you know, won it. I wouldn't say easily because, like you said, the games were very close, but they did it in quick fashion. They closed them out real fast. Um, you know, obviously, like you said, Bobrovsky played absolutely phenomenal. Really, really um, surprised, I guess, if you will, because we've talked about it a lot here on the show. He has not been the greatest uh, playoff performer in his career. He's had moments here and there, but overall just his entire postseason uh, resume, if you will, has not been the greatest, especially for how good he's been in the regular season. Um, you know, then the one thing that you touched on that I'm glad you mentioned is that core four um, did not show up at all. They were absolutely fantastic against my Tampa Bay Lightning and a very, very big reason of why they were able to eliminate us. And then they did a complete 180 and just were, you know, basically ghosts out there on the ice because like you said, nine points combined out of those top four guys is just not going to cut it regardless of who you're, you're playing. You need those guys to produce, especially in big time moments. Um, a really big thing here too, Noah, is that the Panthers were able to win uh, both of the games that did go to overtime. That's a really, really uh, another yeah. thing that was a complete 180 because they were undefeated against us 3-0 and in overtime games in the first round. Obviously another huge reason because if you can't win games on home ice and if you can't win those overtime games, you know, that that's a uh, huge letdown in the postseason. So that didn't help at all. Um, obviously, you know, Samsonov, I think he got injured, he said, but also got replaced for, for Wall, which had to happen in the first series as well. So it'll be interesting to see where they go long-term if they're still sold on Samsonov or not, um, you know, hats off to the Panthers. I think they're playing fantastic hockey right now. Uh, they may be our bitter in-state rivals, uh, but they still have a lot of players that are fun to watch, easy to root for, uh, especially guys like you mentioned, Carter Verhage, former Tampa Bay Lightning. Uh, uh, you know, uh, just a, a bunch of players now that are really fun to watch despite being a rival team. Um, you know, and like you said, it, it's kind of anything goes at this point. I think this team uh, – their ceiling, the way they're playing, they definitely could win it all, but we'll have to see if that actually does happen. Uh, really excited for their next series. 
Yeah, and I got to say, I'm really rooting hard for Bobrovsky. I've always loved Bobrovsky, and which is why I've been so disappointed or, or sad to see him struggle in the playoffs in the past. So, hope he keeps playing well. Uh, I would love to see him win a Stanley Cup. And, and hey, if he keeps playing the way he did in that series, it's very possible. Um, but uh, Jesse says, name a better duo than Bobrovsky ruining NHL record-setting President's Trophy winning seasons. You're going to make Garth shed a couple of tears there bringing that up. But, um, the core four never got it done. Exactly. I agree. I, agree I will say, agree. I don't think it's the only reason they lost, Noah. Like, if they had played better, they still very yeah. well. Yeah, I mean, their, their defense but, and goaltending was terrible as well. Exactly. Just they definitely didn't uh, give their team a big boost to, to try and win. And I, I think, you know, Wall went in there, and because, you know, he hasn't played a lot, I think he got a um, – you know, lack of scouting, what have you, you know, a different goalie they're going up against. Gave them a little bit of a boost, but they so, still couldn't score. So one thing I actually did want to ask you tonight, Noah, and I just thought about it just in time. Yeah. So kind of the uniform saying out of everybody in that locker room, coaches, players alike is, hey, guys, we still want to be here fully. We're really committed. We really enjoy, like, Toronto, the atmosphere of the team. Do you think that that was kind of just more so for, like, media sake, or did they really mean that? Um. Probably a bit of both. I, I'd say I think obviously you don't want to come out so soon when your fans are still pissed off and say, fuck this place, you know, I want out and what, whatnot. But um, I do think there is some truth to it because um, he could just come out. At, like the main one I saw was Austin Matthews coming out and saying he wants to re-sign. I think I saw news of rumors of like a four or five-year contract or whatever. But um I don't, you know, I don't think he has any reason to lie about that because if he didn't want to say anything, he doesn't have to. He could have just said nothing, you know. So, um, but probably a bit of both, I'd say. Uh, Ray says, "Hey guys, what's up, Ray? Uh, what's up, Ray? Sorry, I had doubles, man. <laughs> I have a new public enemy number one, and that is just for brought um, Austin Matthews, Chicago. Um, we'll talk about Chicago a little bit later." But, um, yes, next series. We can finally get into some series that were actually a little bit back and forth. We'll start with this one. Uh, the Vegas Gold, uh, Golden Knights uh, defeating the Edmonton Oilers in six games. Got a uh, very back and forth series this one. But I think the main reason that Vegas was able to win this series, uh, it's actually very surprising. Uh, the Oilers 5-on-5 five five was absolutely terrible in this series. I saw a stat. I don't remember the exact numbers, but it was something like 18-9. to nine in favor of Vegas uh, for goals scored on five on five. I don't have the exact numbers, but, um, and, and we talked about after the Oilers won the, the first series, right guard, how great their power play was. They had a 56% power play percentage or whatnot, but that's not sustainable, right? Eventually you're going to have to be able to score five on five. And, you know, for, for a team with the talent, the Oilers have, you know, McDavid, Dreisaitl, um, Evan Bouchard, the first series was great for them. Uh, and obviously, you know, Ryan Nugent Hopkins as well. Scoring something like nine goals in six games, five on five, isn't going to cut it against a team as good as Vegas. Um, other key stats I want to bring up. Uh, first of all, we'll go through the games. So Edmonton won, or excuse me, Vegas won game one, six to four. Edmonton won game two, five to one. Uh, Vegas got a five, one win in their own in game three. Edmonton won game four, four to one. And then Vegas in game five, guard, this was a big one. They won four to three because Edmonton, um, committed two penalties and Vegas got a five on three power play. Uh, they basically stole that game. And then uh, game six, Edmonton was up two one after the first and then Vegas scored four unanswered uh, to win five, two. Um, when I look at the Oilers for this series, Garth, it's just kind of more of the same, right? I mean, I'm looking at their stats. 
defense and goaltending, uh, Stuart Skinner, 875 save percentage. All their players, uh, McDavid, you know, five goals and 10 points, which is great, but he was an even player, which how many times have we mentioned this in the past? It seems like no matter how many goals or a score, they still give up almost just as many. Dreisaitl, a minus five. Bouchard, minus four. Nugent Hopkins, minus four. Yamamoto, minus six. I mean, it just feels like, and like I hate to bring it up over and over again because eventually it gets a little annoying probably even for us, but I mean, it's just the same, same damn thing. Every year with the Oilers, over and over again, they could score 50 goals a game, but they give up 51. And it doesn't matter if Connor McDavid scores 45 points in 12 games or whatever you want to call it. If they give up more than that, it doesn't really matter. And I think for the Oilers, they need to do something fast. I'm talking in the next maybe year or two, or else I think Connor McDavid and Dryside are going to say, screw this, man. We're we're too we're too good to be you know getting kicked out in the second round over and over again. I know they made the conference finals last year and you know got swept. But um, what were your main takeaways from this? And obviously you know, hang on before I throw it to you, I just want to say uh, Jack Eichel phenomenal nine points in the series. He was great. Marcheseau and Barbashev were really good as well. But Aiden Hill, uh, Vegas goalie. <laughs> I mean, Vegas has kind of had a a revolving door of goalies this season with injuries, but 934 save percentage for him. But uh, what were your main takeaways from this series? Oh, Edmonton Oilers. Here we go again, Noah. Like you said, absolutely terrible five-on-five. The biggest thing for me after watching a lot of this team in back-to-back postseasons, Mm -hmm. it's just like they don't have that, like, physical gritty toughness that you need in the playoffs. You know, they don't ever really, like, control the pace of games. They're not kind of imposing themselves on the ice. It's like, yes, they're going to give you a lot of goal-scoring ability. They're going to give you some of these, like, highlight reel, really awesome uh, plays or goals, what what be it, that you're going to sit back and watch and go, holy cow, Connor McDavid's insane or or crazy night by Leon Dreisaitl. But overall, you know, there's just such a lack of team toughness. Um you know, like just the fact that you let up four unanswered in a series defining game is unreal. Um, I don't know. I think they need to, it's not just that the defense and the goaltending needs to be better. I think they need toughness across the board. You know, you need to be able to kind of get a lead and then lock it down and hold it and kind of, you know, keep the other team hemmed in their end of the ice for as much as possible. Or, you know, when you do let up a big time goal, you don't just continue to let the floodgates pour open and all of a sudden you're down three or four goals. Uh, like you said, you know, it's not good. McDavid, Dreisaitl, they're only going to put up with this for so much longer uh, before they want out or just elect not to to resign. Um, like you said, a lot of guys who didn't really perform up to the level that we're used to seeing, like Ryan Nugent Hopkins. I know there's a lot of chatter that uh, Yamamoto is going to be out in the off season because he played absolutely abysmal. That guy was like non-existent out there, did not help his team at all. Um, so it'd be a really interesting offseason. And then two, you know, where are they at goaltending situation? Because I think it's pretty obvious that, that Jack Campbell's not the guy there. Um, but how much faith do they have in Stuart Skinner? Because he did have himself a pretty good regular season, uh, but I don't think he exactly had a great postseason and, and struggled, quite frankly. Uh, obviously, it's not 100% his fault. It is a young guy um, in his first postseason, and he doesn't exactly have an elite defense ahead of him. But it'll be interesting to see 
you know, do they try and bring somebody in to compete for the job? Maybe a veteran guy who can kind of help mentor him and, and share the load. Uh, it'll be interesting to see for sure. And then on the other side of things, before I get too carried away with the Oilers, uh, Vegas Golden Knights, they, they played really, really good, honestly, in the series. Goaltending was good. Uh, for the most part, the defense was pretty good. And just that whole forward core is clicking. Noah, you mentioned Eichel playing absolutely phenomenal for them. Really, really cool to see after all the uh, fiasco there in Buffalo with kind of being the face of that franchise and then injury and being traded. Uh, so it's really cool to see him performing well again and playing like the type of player that we were used to seeing in years past. Uh, March Assault has been absolutely phenomenal for them as well in that forward group. I think that this is just a team that doesn't really have a lot of like big household names, but they don't need them because they just play so good as a unit. And um, obviously we'll get into our predictions later on, but I'm very high on this Vegas Golden Knights team right now. And I've kind of wanted to pick in favor of them. Like that's what my gut said this whole time, Noah, but for whatever reason I kept picking against them. Uh, we'll see if that continues later on, but uh, <laughs> I guess I should trust my gut a little bit more. And, and like I said, no, I think this team's playing really good hockey at the right time. Yeah, I mean, once again, a, a team playing good hockey and, and playing good hockey when, when it matters the most because the series was back and forth. But like I said, they were kind of able to steal game five a little bit in game six when it mattered the most. Um, Edmonton had the lead and they were unable to hold it and they completely collapsed, I think, in the, in the last two periods. So, um, but credit to Vegas. Um, you know, we, we always knew Vegas would go this far. I mean, they were one of the best teams. Uh, I think they actually had the best record in the Western Conference. So this isn't a surprise at all. I thought this definitely was a, a toss-up series. But, um, you know, to win in six games, I think, was very impressive. The only thing I'd say with Vegas, it's kind of like what I said for um, Carolina. Can their goaltending keep that up? Because Aiden Hill is definitely a uh, not a guy you'd expect to stand on his head like he did in this series. So if he can keep that up, that'd be great for them. Um ton more comments coming in. Uh, before we do go any further, if you guys have not yet, make sure to leave a like on the show because it helps spread our show through the Facebook algorithm. Um, Ray says, Jack Eichel lighting it up. Who would have thought? Um, Ryan Nugent Hopkins was a ghost. I agree. A lot of players on their team were ghosts. They were like the Rangers of last year, relying on the power play. That's a good point because I remember you bringing up that, la that last year, Garth, when they were playing near Lightning, that they – were deadly on the power play, but their five and five actually wasn't great. And they were able to get through two rounds, but you know, in the later stages of that lightning series, it, it kind of started to show a little bit that the lightning were beating them pretty convincingly five on five. Um, I wouldn't be surprised that time has already come for dry side of McDavid. Uh, <laughs> Sarah, <laughs> hey, I'm just saying, Jesse, Sarah nurse is the only one of those two. That's an NHL cover star. Okay. So um, yeah. Uh, good evening, says David. What's up, David? How are you What's doing up, tonight? David? And our buddy Brad Finkel says, my Oilers crashed. Yep, Vegas crashed burned. Vegas has been good for a while. This is um, their first conference finals appearance since when I believe they lost to Dallas the year they went to the Stanley Cup and obviously lost to your Lightning. But, um, yeah, moving on to our last series. Now, this was an absolute barn burn of a series here, Garth. The Dallas Stars surviving shall we say, because this series was, even game seven, was pretty tight right to the very end since uh, Seattle scored a late goal. Um, but Dallas is able to beat the Seattle Kraken in seven games. Um, go go through the game, game logs real quick here. So game one, Seattle won in overtime, five to four. Dallas wins game two, four to two. Seattle won game three, seven to two. But then Dallas uh, comes back 
to win game four, six to three. They also won game five, five to two. Seattle won game six to force a game seven, six to three. And then game seven, Dallas won two to one. Uh, they're up two nothing late in the third. And then um, I can't remember who it was that scored the late goal. Um, and I don't, I look into the names. I can't exactly remember who it was, but regardless. Wyatt Johnston. Wyatt Johnston. Yeah. Off the, off the goalie's mask. That sounds right. Yeah. Wyatt Johnston, man. He's, you know, he had a great he, season, 24 goals. on like, he's playing on like the third line and he had a couple goals this series as well. But um, good win for Dallas. One thing I would say, Garth, um, if you had told me before the series that Jake Ottinger would have an 877 save percentage, I would have thought they would have lost this series because that's a guy that we typically look at as one of Dallas's biggest strengths. And he actually really struggled in this series, but they're able to get some goal scoring. How about this guy, Garth? And I got to say, there's a lot of players that want to win a Stanley Cup this season, but this guy is probably top of the list. Joe Pavelski. 38 years old, eight goals in seven games. He adds an assist as well, plus one. I mean, eight goals in one playoff series is just absolutely nuts. I think he also had a four-goal game in one of these games, which is just sure did. insane. Uh, Max Domi also added two goals and six assists for eight points. Uh, Rupe Hintz and Thomas Harley, who's a defenseman, were point per game as well, and, you know, Jamie Benn as well. But then, you know, like you said, Garth, it's guys like Wyatt Johnston added three goals. Uh, Mason Marchman added two goals as well. Uh, Dadanov had five points. Ben had six points. Um, and they're doing all this with the fact that Ottinger really wasn't on his game this series. But they were also able to beat up on Philip Rubauer on the other end, which, you know, we probably would have expected, uh, to put it bluntly. Um, and Seattle did play great. They had some standouts. I thought Eberle was very good. Yanni Gord was point per game, your guy. Um, Matty Beniers had six points, as did Vince Dunn. But I think the, my main takeaway from this series, Garth, was while it was very close and Seattle gave it their all, I think we saw at points in the series that they didn't quite have that next level of experience, if you will, to kind of put them over that hump. To have a guy like that Joe, Joe Pavelski who just absolutely goes off, that veteran presence, that's able to lift your team in a close series, Seattle had – a one nothing lead and a two one lead in the series, and they were but they were never able to get that three to one or that two nothing series lead to kind of take control of the series. Dallas was always able to find an answer to keep it close, and then you know credit to Seattle tying it up in, in Game Six, but um, Game Seven I thought the Stars were you know for the most part pretty much clearly the better team um, in that game, and you know they were down two nothing. Uh, and Seattle's able to score a, a late one from Bjorkstrand. Uh, that's who it was uh, to keep it close. But um, credit to Seattle. Great season. Only their second year of existence uh, to get to seven games in the second round. I mean, most people probably expect them to lose the Avalanche. So um, great year for them. But uh, Dallas, Garth, moving on to the conference finals. Definitely a team I was not expecting to make this far. Shows how much we know. But uh, what were your thoughts on Dallas and winning this series? Yeah, really good back and forth series. Both of these teams played really, really well. Um, you know, it was a series that I told you it was really hard to watch as a neutral because I wanted both teams to win, quite frankly. Obviously, cool story with the Kraken, only second year, massive step forward from where they were at last year. Really big fan of guys like Matty Beneers, obviously my former Tampa Bay Lightning guy and Yanni Gord. Um you know, and then on the other side of things, Dallas Stars, I really, really like Joe Pavelski. 
This guy seems to be kind of like the do-it-all, wants to will the team to victory type guy. Every time he gets in one of these postseason runs, we saw back when he was still with the Sharks, and now we're seeing it here with the Dallas Stars. Absolutely phenomenal playoff run for him. How about this, Noah? Rupe Hintz, second in the entire postseason for scoring, only one point behind Connor McDavid and actually has more goals than he did as well. So that dude is playing phenomenal. Uh, one of those young core guys there. Uh, Jason Robertson also has played pretty well. Only two goals, though. So, you know, that guy could get hot and even get this offense rolling even a little bit more. Obviously, guys like Miro Heiskanen have played really well. Uh, my guy that you mentioned earlier, Wyatt Johnston, really, really big fan of him in his first full NHL season. Uh, can't even buy beer yet. He's only 20 years old. So that's really cool to see him playing so well at such an early stage of his career. Uh, and then obviously some of the guys that have been there for a while, like Jamie Ben. Um, so, you know, that, like you said, I did not expect the Dallas Stars to be at this point. But with that said, I think they're playing pretty much as good as anybody. And that's without Jason Robertson playing to kind of his full goal, goal scoring potential. And like you said, Jake Ottinger wasn't exactly like stand on his head, shut down type of goalie like we've seen him do in the past this series. Obviously, he does need to improve if they're going to advance. But should he improve? You know, it's going to be really tough to to knock these guys out because right now they're playing really good. Like I said, I think when you got a guy like Joe Pavelski going out there and scoring four goals at 38 years old, Captain America, as they like to call him, you know, this is a team that can kind of go toe-to-toe with anybody right now. They're just playing that brand of hockey. going to be really, really fun to watch this next series. Yeah, and I, I think that series is – I think goaltending is really going to decide that series on two fronts. First of all, Ottinger, like you said, is to play much better if they want to beat a, a team with as much quality as Vegas. But also, uh, will Aiden Hill be able to keep that up, what he did in that um, Oilers series against a team like the Stars? Um, Brad says the NHL playoffs have been fire. I agree. They've been Absolutely. Nuts. They've been absolutely insane. I have no idea who's going to win the Stanley Cup. Like, I think any of these four teams could easily have a shot at winning it. Uh, that's how competitive I think I think these series are. But when you have teams like Boston and Colorado, probably the favorites in there, actually were the favorites in their conferences, at least betting-wise, go out in round one, everything kind of goes out the window. And now there's, you know, you don't even have the star power, like, like, like a McDavid or, you know, Toronto, you know, all the guys they have. They're all gone as well now. So it's just kind of like who steps up now at the right time and gets it done. I need Robertson to be the study as in the Vegas series. Yeah, I agree. I didn't even mention Robertson as kind of one of their standouts um, in the Seattle series. So if he gets it going as well, that's another option for them. Uh, the Kraken needs some better vets for the young guys. I agree. I think you, I think you can see through the series, even though it's very close. You know, like like Gart said, Joe Pavelski out there playing like he's 28. That veteran presence ended up being the difference in this series. And while Seattle had some good performances and it was a close series, they didn't quite have that, you know, next little 2% that they needed. Um, Skinner was okay at times. I think the playoffs and lack of good defense was 100% Oilers' downfall. Yep, I mean, it's the same thing it is every year, like we said earlier. Skinner's rookie experience. Now, uh, this is going to be not as fun, Garth. We're going to look at our <laughs> look at our predictions for round two. Um, it's not going to be great, but we'll go ahead and put these up here. Um, once again, green means we got the series right and the correct amount of games. Uh, yellow, which isn't on here, means we got the series right but the wrong amount of games. 
And red, which uh, seems to be the theme of this graphic, means we got the series completely wrong. Um, so, Garth, we both picked the uh, Leafs. I had them in seven. You had them in six. Uh, the Panthers won in in five games. Uh, we both had Dallas in seven, which actually ended up being correct. Kind of funny how that works. We both picked Edmonton in seven, Vegas one in six, and I know that's one you were definitely beating yourself up on. And uh, we both picked the Devils. Um, sorry, Ray, you can't blame us this time. We did pick you guys. You just uh, <laughs> just just didn't show up. But uh, the Hurricanes one in five, and we picked the Devils in, in six and seven, respectively. Um, so standings-wise, uh, currently I am still ahead by two points. Uh, we'll put the records up as well. Four, five, and three overall, but a one and three week for me. You're three, seven, and two overall. Also a one and three week for you. Uh, standings, it already says in the graphic, but I'll put it up anyway. Ten points for me, eight points for you. Um, any major takeaways here um, from our predictions, Garth? No, not really. Other than, like you said, no, I, in all honesty, my gut said that Vegas was going to win that series. And I just decided to uh, tell my gut that it was wrong and pick against it. And I do regret that. Um, and then, you know, a lot of the other stuff we talked about already, like we were surprised that the Panthers won in five and, and the Canes so convincingly as they did as well. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I definitely like, and some of these series, right, like I said, they're kind of toss-up series. Like, I'm not surprised Florida won. I'm just surprised they won in five games. Kind of the same thing with the Hurricanes. I'm not I'm not shocked at all Vegas won. That's probably another one. I was, I was probably – I think the reason I picked Edmonton was just they had that extra edge for guys like McDavid and Dreisaitl to – if it was a close series, which I thought it would be, I had it going seven, that they would be able to kind of get them over that hump. But uh, Edmonton's five-on-five, five, like we said, was really not good at all. Um, in that series, Vegas had the edge there, and that ended up being the difference. But, um, yeah, not a good week for us, definitely. But you know De- what? In- definitely my worst prediction performance ever, Noah. Uh, I usually do pretty good at predictions, guys, like predicting series or, like, seasons, etc. For, like, when we do our March Madness brackets or our NFL pickums, I tend to do pretty good. Uh, this one, absolutely abysmal performance on my end, and unfortunately I don't really have a – a lot of games to try and make it up as for Hardy to the conference finals. Yeah. And look, our records may stink, but I will say in our defense with how wild these playoffs have been, I think a lot of people's picks probably stink because I don't know how many people had Boston and Colorado going out in the first round or the. the yeah. I think I saw Noah, there's something only like 14 perfect brackets left uh, out of the like millions that were submitted to NHL. And I don't know if that actually accounts for like, them picking the amount of games correctly too, or if they're just saying that that's who had these specific teams in it. I mean, that's ridiculous because like, like that, that'd even be ridiculous for a March madness, but the fact that the NHL playoffs only 16 teams and there's only 14 perfects left. Um, yeah. That tells you how crazy it's been. Um, Brad says the Panthers look like they were supposed to look last season as the number one seed. And like, this is, you know, why, why guys like Brian Attard always say regular season doesn't matter at all because you can go off and, you know, get kicked out by in, in the second round or the first round like Boston was this year. And sometimes you can be the uh, last playoff team in because the Pittsburgh Penguins fucking suck and, and lose to a team with a <laughs> with a top six defenseman as their third line center and uh, you go to the conference finals. That's just how it goes sometimes. Um, I got the Stars versus the Canes. We'll get into our conference finals predictions in a minute. And to Noah's point, there's no player left making over ten and a half million a year. That's crazy, dude. That is absolutely nuts to me. But uh, yes, conference finals predictions. 
hope to God uh, these go a little bit quicker. Let me, or, or they go a little bit better, excuse me. Let me go ahead and put up the graphic here. So, these are our predictions. I have the Panthers in seven. Now, I think this series, once again, I, I think both these series are toss-ups, like they said. I have them both going seven games. I'm giving four to the edge just because I don't know what it is. I've doubted them the entire playoffs, and they consistently prove me wrong. I don't want to do it again. I think if Bobrovsky keeps doing what he's doing, um, they'll be in great shape. I'm not so sure about Anderson on the other side. I think their defense is going to have a lot to handle this series. They'll still do pretty well. Um, but I'm loving what I'm seeing from Kachuk for Hagee starting to get it going. Um, Sam Reinhardt has had his moments as well. And I think defensively they've been overall really good. Um, like we said, you know, shutting down a, a top heavy Maple Leafs offense as well as they did. I think it was very impressive. Beating Boston was incredible. Um, once they beat Boston, everything went up in the air trying to make these predictions. So I think this series could go either way, but I'll go with the Panthers in seven. I also have the Stars in seven. This one I'm a little less sure about, even though, you know, once again, I think both these series are ridiculously close. Um, but I think I'm going to edge the Stars because I think they have a little bit more offense. I think Jason Robertson is still yet to get it going, and yet, you know, it's guys like we said. Joe Pavelski has been great. Rupe Hintz, like you said, guards second in playoff points. Only behind McDavid is is ridiculous. Um, and I think Ottinger, he, he's way better than what he did in the, that Seattle series. So if he can improve, and on the other side for Vegas – Aiden Hill, once again, I mean, he had a great series, but is he going to keep that up? This is a guy that's relatively unknown. I don't know about it. Um, so I'm just going to barely give uh, Dallas the edge in that one. Um, but you've gone a completely different direction, Garth. You've got Hurricanes in six and Vegas in seven. Talk about your picks here real quick. Yep. So this round I decided to fully and confidently entrust in my gut feeling. Uh, just kind of – you know, no specific reasoning why other than just that feeling. I feel like, you know, Florida Panthers are really, really good postseason so far. They're playing really, really well. They, they're a good team, no doubt. But I think for whatever reason, uh, they kind of cool off in the series and maybe not play quite as good as they have been playing. And, and another thing, too, that's worth mentioning is I think a big reason why the Panthers have gone on this run is they play a different style of hockey this year. You know, they brought in a new head coach, kind of changed their play style, their scheme, took most of the year to kind of get it set in stone and, and really feel comfortable. And they play a much more, like, defensive-minded first type of hockey. And I personally am a proponent of that because I think that uh, it, it seemed to work well for a lot of teams that have done well in the recent postseasons. Uh, but I think that the issue with that is that the Carolina Hurricanes play a very similar style of hockey, but they do it even better because it's a more established system. The, the guys there are, you know, been together for years now. They've gone on some postseason runs. They have a lot of playoff experience, and they're just playing so, so good. They're going to have home ice, obviously. Um, I think this is just a series where Carolina continues to build off of what they did against the Devils. And the Panthers kind of just slip up or cool off a little bit to where the Canes end up beating them something like four games to two. Uh, and then moving on to the Western Conference, this one honestly is a complete toss-up for me. But kind of like Noah and the Florida Panthers, I'm saying enough is enough. I've been picking against my better judgment and these Vegas Golden Knights all postseason. I am going to finally go with them. And I'm either finally going to get it right or it's going to be too little too late and it's going to bite me in the ass. Um but, you know, I think this is a really good series. I like 
a lot of players on both of these teams. I just think that, you know, I don't know. This one's so tough. I just, I give a very slight edge to Vegas because I think that they're a slightly better team defensively. Uh, obviously, goaltending is going to be a key, key deciding factor in this. Ottinger's got to improve. If he does, the Stars very well could win this. But I'm going to, uh, I'm going to go with the Knights here in seven. No, I think they do just enough to pull this one off, but it should be an absolutely insane series. Well, I will say this, Guard, though, with the way our picks are lined up, there's no way you can be both be as horribly wrong as we were in round two. Um, someone will at least get something right here. We'll see who, uh, you know, whether it's split or, you know, maybe you get both right, maybe I get both right. Who knows? But um, like I said earlier, I have absolutely no clue who's going to win the Stanley Cup at this point. I think both the series are – Complete toss-ups, but uh, regardless, there's those are predictions. We'll see how horribly wrong we are because that's usually that's how it's been going these playoffs because they've been so ridiculous. Now we got some more topics coming up, and we're gonna get a special guest on. This is a bit of a surprise guest. I haven't told anyone about this. I haven't even told. I didn't even tell Garth about this. He's just now learning about this. I was uh, telling one of our you know mutual buddies who, who's a big hockey fan about one of the topics I had planned for tonight, and he just you know casually said. I'd love to be on area. I don't remember exactly what he says, but get me on there. Something like that. And I was like, you know, um, wasn't really thinking about it, but why not? We have, uh, we have nothing better to do. Let's get him on here real quick. Our good buddy, Brian Attard, sports box host, host of the blue trip show, a uh, big Rangers fan. Obviously he's still a little bit uh, beat up about, uh, but um, but a little bit. But uh, how are you doing tonight, my friend? Uh, living the dream. I'm happy to be a surprise special guest. You know, one of Garth's, I, I hope, one of Garth's favorite people. So I hope it's a pleasant surprise here tonight. But uh, you share with me, Noah, the, a, a topic or two you were going to go over. And I was very passionate about these topics. And I said, listen, if you need somebody, I know somebody. Um, and you graciously accept. It's always fun to come on, talk a little puck with you boys. So, yeah, I'm, I'm all yours for as long as you'd like. Well, uh, hey, don't take that out of context, anybody. He's just here to talk hockey. But I'm just uh, here to talk. Come on hey, now, listen, listen here, meow. Exactly, uh, Jesse. Jesse's fired up. He says Brian is back. Let's go. And um, it's I'm I'm still not over it. I just want that on the record. I'm still not over it. Nor should you be. Hey, no. This, hey, man, this is what happens when you're a diehard fan of a team your entire life, right? Like I like I told you, man. For the highs to be high, the lows have got to be crushing oh, low. Yeah. I, they, so. It, I, people have different opinions on this. I have a strong feeling that what we saw the Rangers do this year, so much worse than last year. And my wife's the first person to say, yeah, but they got farther last year. They were closer. So why doesn't that? You don't get it. They had the roster this year. Last year was more of a surprise. Yeah. Like they this, overachieved last year. Yeah. This was hard underachievement. And the way the playoffs have, have actually broken out, it makes me angrier. You know, the, yeah. the middle let. The middle five letters in Ranger spell anger, and that's definitely the, um, <laughs> the prevailing thought right now in the fans. Yeah, man. Uh, I mean, I told you, you I would have easily picked them to beat the Hurricanes. And, you know, with Boston out, I mean, everything was up in the air. They could have at least gotten the cup finals, and then who, know, who knows from there. But, I mean, there was that's no Colorado either. I mean, everything was up in the air. You know, it is what it is. But, um, yeah, uh, they got two years left, I think, once they have to give Igor a contract that's going to mm -hmm. change everything. But um, same timeline. Hey, man, I'm just saying Jack Eichel looks pretty good for Vegas in that second round. You know, if, if only there was somebody banging the table for the Rangers to make an aggressive move for a guy who was going to be sold for pennies on the dollar. And then, yeah, I know. But, hey, man, I know. 
at least you got uh, max of 60 points a season. Vincent Trocek as your big, big marquee offseason signing last year. Yeah, and uh, Zibby had a great playoff run. I mean, that one goal he scored, that was was big. (laughs) (laughs) Hey, how about Panarin? What was it, two assists, 11.6 million? Fun, fun stuff. But um, infinity amounts of money per goal. (laughs) (laughs) Good, strong. That's true. Yep. Anyway, we got a lot of topics. Um, since you are still struggling, we'll give you a little bit of an opportunity to troll it up a little bit before we get into our more important topics. Uh, the New Jersey Devils, mm-hmm. um, after they got absolutely steamrolled against the Hur- uh, Carolina Hurricanes, lost in five games. Um, a lot of pe- a lot of Devils fans coming out, and I specifically made this topic for you. I did not have this in the original script, but once I yeah, and I appreciate that, no problem. Um, they had a great regular season. You know, they won their first playoff series since 2012. And, you know, once they get steamrolled, you get people coming out and saying, man, what a, what a successful season we had. What a great season, you know, blah, blah, blah. And, look, I know you'll agree with me on this. I think people have the wrong definition of success, um, in my opinion. And, look, maybe this is, you know, the, the whole consolation prize uh, era we live in where everyone has to be a winner or whatever. We don't want to hurt anybody's feelings or whatever but i'm also speaking from the perspective of a fan who's actually seen something win games you don't care about regular season success you don't care about winning the first round do i care about the fact that in 2016 the falcons won the nfc championship game or do i care that they blew the super bowl like they did i mean it's pretty obvious to me i don't care that the uh the penguins in 2008 2009 went to the stanley cup finals and lost the red wings i care that they beat them the next year and won back to back so on and so forth don't care that georgia in 2017 was leading the national championship game for 95 percent of the game and then blew it to alabama i care that they won as garth i like to remind garth of about every other day that they've won back to back so brian a question for you did the, the new jersey devils have a successful season this year did they get a trophy uh consolation trophy maybe did they have a parade um second in the metro parade cool i you're on to something there i i think here's my problem generally and i understand that i am not cut from the same cloth as everybody else and that's perfectly okay you know i don't view sports as entertainment i live and die with this hockey team for better or for worse that's that's the reality of it Mm -hmm. and people confuse a step forward as success there is one team every year that is successful that's the team that gets the big shiny thing at the end there are teams which have productive seasons chicago season was very productive they got the number one pick in the draft rangers had a couple productive seasons during their rebuild they were not successful but they were productive from a devil's standpoint i would say yeah, it was a step in the right direction. You like what you saw from younger players getting better and better. And that's not a bad thing by any means. But to sit here and tell me that your second round loss where you won one more playoff game than my stupid team is all of a sudden a successful season, I think you're just a loser. Like, I have no other way of explaining it. And I think the problem with people is they look at sports and they want to feel happy about something. They just want to feel good about something. So they will take the thinnest shred of positivity and make it sound like it's the greatest thing that ever happened because it's not fun to be real and say, well, we had an opportunity and we lost. So no, I do. I would not categorize the devil's season as a success. In fact, I would say that three of the final four teams would not have had a successful season. 
because only one team wins. Mm -hmm. And that's just the way I look at things. I worry about what matters, not what makes me feel good. I think from my perspective, Brian, I think a lot of people confuse overachieving with being successful. The devil's absolutely overachieved. Well, here's Seattle absolutely overachieved. But overachieved to what? To people's expectations and why do they why do they matter, right? It's just right. somebody's opinion. Yeah. It's no different than the schmuck who writes the SI article, oh, the Eagles going to win the Super Bowl. I'm like, "Oh, well, if that guy said it, clearly that's what's going on," right? Like it's just yeah. it's just people's opinions which carries zero weight, right? It's just even if it's the prevailing opinion. What do we know? It's just prognostication. We don't know anything. I mean, if you had yeah. Florida this far in the playoffs, good for you. I didn't. But, like, that's our opinions, right? So whenever someone says, like, we exceeded expectations, whose expectations? Your own? Oh, so you're selling yourself short to start? Cool. Like, I, I never understood this yeah. idea that because you went further than people thought, that somehow this is something to, you know, go six to midnight over. I never understood that. Yeah, and um, like I was just saying earlier, you weren't on here, Brian, but you know, Florida last year they won the President's Trophy or whatnot. This year they sneak in as in the playoffs because the the Penguins have no backbone and they've gotten farther this year. Regular season doesn't matter. The only Brian, the only reason the regular season matters is because it's what you need to do to qualify for the playoffs. Once you get to the playoffs, it doesn't matter what your record is. A team like Florida can go on a run, and a team like Boston that won what was it, sixty five games, mm -hmm. they can go out in round one. That's just Gar the way. I, Garth, Garth, yeah. Garth knows he's been there. Yep. Yeah. Garth, do you have yeah, any thoughts? Like Noah said, I don't care whatsoever that we won a President's Trophy. I would like to forget it, quite frankly, because of how it ended. Sure. Because oh, it, yeah. it was a failure. Like the, the Rangers this year, Brian, were one of the biggest failures in the NHL. Like that's Which is failure. funny because I said to you, you asked me, we did a playoff preview, and I, where do you think that – I said, of all the teams in the league – they can win the whole damn thing or they can be swept. And I was very upfront about that because that's the way it broke down. I mean, the bracket was not in their favor. Mm -hmm. I'm not going to say that that makes me feel at all better about what they did. I mean, they were up to nothing in a series. They had them by the balls and they let it get away from them. They lost that series twice. I went on an hour long tirade on Blue Truth about all this. And you're yes. welcome to go watch it if you like. Where I broke this all down and I said, you know, this series leaves you with a lot more questions than answers. And that's not good. Mm -hmm. But they found a way to lose the series twice. Like I don't, I take nothing positive at all from this season, from the Rangers, whatever good vibes you had from a year ago are dead, done, gone. So I find it to me, that's a very defeatist attitude. This is not horseshoes. It's not darts. Like you, like you, you need to actually win something to be successful because nobody cares. No one's going to remember 10 years from now, other than devil's fans in their little closet rooms that, they beat the Rangers in a playoff series, which means way more to them than anybody else, which is fine. I, I understand fan psychology. But outside of that, okay. If that's success to you, I genuinely feel sorry for you. Yeah. I'm. Uh, I, and once again, I think it's kind of that, you know, participation trophy era that we live in, right, where everyone Absolutely. wants to find some positive or whatnot. Um, Jesse says, this is why Brian is always loud here. Hey, man. We've known Brian a long time at this point. So. I just like to think I call it like it is. I mean, again, I'm not asking yeah. everybody to be to my level of obsession with this stuff. But, like, if you want to cheerlead, that's fine. I'm not telling you not to. Just be upfront about it. Just say, listen, this is just fun for me. Like, you know, at the end of the day, like Noah said, for the highs to be highs, the lows have to be low. So if you're going to take a low and turn it into a moderate high, A, you're an idiot. And B, the high is never going to mean jack to you. Just admit you don't care. That's fine. Nothing's wrong with that. You don't got to be me. 
but you don't don't pretend that you're this oh, this big diehard. Ah, it's okay that they lost. They had a. I don't want to hear that nonsense. And look, I, I think I, I mentioned this to. I can't remember who I mentioned to. It was either you or Garth, but I know I mentioned it to one of you guys that. Um, look. Like you said, for the lows to be so low, the highs are very high. And I've been called a fake fan for my opinions on teams like the Penguins, and you know my my opinions there, or the Falcons, to where I'm the exact opposite of a cheerleader. I keep it as realistic as possible. And, you know, I've been, oh, you don't know what you're talking about. You're fair weather because I criticize the team. You're a fake fan. Why don't you get another team? And I'm like, dude, shut up. Like, you're not any better of a fan for me (laughs) than me because you cheerlead. And Garth will attest to this. When I went through all the heartbreak for years with teams like the Falcons and UGA, right? But once UGA actually broke through and Garth saw, saw my reaction to them winning the championship game, or even after they beat Ohio State, because I knew that was probably the real championship game, the absolute emotion. Like, the the I, I cannot even describe mm-hmm. it. You know what it feels like if you've experienced it. And if you don't, you need to experience it. Because once you do – you're not going to see one in a one playoff round as, as something to celebrate. To, to that point, so for I live in South Jersey, right? I live in Eagles country, Flyers country, whatever, which I hate both of those teams with every fiber of my being. And many of my good friends are Eagles fans. And I, you know, while Super Bowl 52 was a disaster for me personally, I can be happy for my friends because I know what that meant to them. Yes. I can be happy for their happiness because I care about them as humans. By no means was I rooting for it. But, you know, like that's as a Ranger, Rangers fans know what Eagles fans went through because you, you, you don't, you don't win for so long and then you finally win one. And it's never going to be like that again, by the way. Mm-hmm. Um, and they think that they understand that I can respect that for them. Like I can respect someone who just gets totally broken when their team loses. Like, I think that that's, I think that's a more honorable reaction to things than someone who, you know, brushes it off. Ah, I don't really care. You're right. You don't, and you just told on yourself. So I don't want to hear you. I, I mean, mean that's something good. I'll just put out there right now. I, for two weeks after the Falcons lost the Super Bowl, I didn't go on social media at all. No, I didn't. I didn't want to. I didn't want to hear anything. I didn't want to have some jackass talking shit to me because I knew I'd probably. Hey, I'd probably tell him, "Hey, buddy, go jump off a fucking roof." <laughs> that's what I would do, and I knew I would do that. So. Yeah, no, I completely agree with you there. Uh, Tom Scavetta says, "Let's go." What's up, Tom? How you I, doing? I met I met Tom and, and his wonderful girlfriend. We were both well. All went to game three, and I met him before everything went bad. So it was a good time. <laughs> hey, man. Like, I, I mean, like I say, an overtime game like that. If it's three nothing, that series is over. But then it, they get momentum back, and oh, look, I don't need to tell you. I ain't gonna make you feel bad about it. But it, anyway, it, it's, yeah, anyway. Yeah. <laughs> all right, moving on from our little trolling. Um, We've already kind of talked about this, so I'll just have you handle this one, Brian. Anything in particular from round two that kind of stuck out to you, maybe surprised you a bit that you weren't expecting, you know, standout players, whatever you want? I I think for the most part, the deeper, more balanced teams advanced. Mm-hmm. Like, I, I, I see Toronto and Edmonton very much as mirror images of each other, teams that have all-world high ends but not much after that and very questionable goaltending. And I think that both met their demise as a result of that, because, you know, will beat skill in the playoffs. This is not news to anybody, which is why we always say, you know, we, we no, you were joking about this, you know, a Boston loss. Yeah, that can happen. 
when a 65 win regular season team, I mean, if you, if you look around other sports, that doesn't happen for the most part, you know, the regular season is more of indicative of mm-hmm. it, like, it gives you more of a barometer for the most part of what to expect in the postseason. And hockey's just not that way. And you can put together a very impressive regular season record, but you may just not have it for playoff hockey. So I, I was once Florida got through Boston, I think you'd be Boston, you'd be anybody. And I think that Toronto not that they were happy to be there, but I think there was a sense of relief. They finally got out of round one. Not that they accomplished Jack because they didn't, but I wasn't as surprised because I thought that once they finally got a little bit of, you know, negativity and questions that they would fold like a cheap suit. And that's exactly what they did. Like that, that's just, that team's not mentally strong. Edmonton, you got to think, I don't know when that's going to happen for them because I mean, at some point you're going to see trade requests and they want to get the hell out of there. Um, you know, again, but also let's not be surprised at the four teams that are here, you know, between 2019 and today, three of three of these four teams went to at least a conference final. Carolina did Dallas went to the finals, lost to Tampa Bay. Um, you know, so, I mean, and Vegas obviously went to the finals in 18 and they've been this far since. So it's not anything that's too, too surprising to me. Look, Florida was an excellent team last year. If you believe in regular season standards. So they're just there a year too late. If we, if we look back and look for reasons, it does make sense. Does it make sense in the moment? Absolutely not. Nobody sh- nobody's like, oh, my God, Florida is so good. Like, no, that was a Boston choke job. Like, that's what that was. You had them and you lost, same as the Rangers did. None of them surprised me, though. Um, mm-hmm. Again, no. if you wanted to say any team in the second round that lost had a quote-unquote successful season by somebody's definition, it would probably just be Seattle because it's their second year and you, there's not a lot to go back on. Vegas tries to get here every year. No surprise. Edmonton failed. Toronto failed. The Devils, for the most part, failed because I think their Stanley Cup was the first round. And they kind of admitted that. And that's a horrible way to play sports. But nothing super surprising. I just think that these teams that have so much cap money locked up and just a couple guys, they got to, if you're going to do that, you really do need strong middle six, bottom six. I mean, you go back to the years, Tampa was very good. They had a great third line. It, It wasn't, your top two lines tend to offset each other in many ways when you get to this level. Mm-hmm. Tampa won because of their depth. The teams that lost weren't very deep. So looking ahead to round three, I'll, I'll go ahead and put our predictions up again so you can kind of look at this. Um, between me and Garth, who are you kind of leaning leaning towards with these predictions of, of who you think will go to the Stanley Cup Finals? You're both right and you're both wrong. Um, so for me, look – I hate Carolina, but I love Carolina. My biggest problem with Carolina was the fact that you lost Vechnikov, and I think he's an unbelievable hockey player, which Rod Brindamore said will be the best guy to ever wear that jersey in, in time. I am surprised. Saying something. Yes, and I am surprised that they mowed down the Devils as easily as they did, to a point, because the Devils have no goaltending, and we knew that, but whatever. Um, I like Carolina in that series, both from a – Pedigree standpoint, they've been there. They've done that. They're the stronger defensive team. I think the X factor, of it's, it's going to be at, if Matthew Kachuk has a series, yeah, they can get by. I think in in other than that, Carolina should get through this Southeast Division <laughs> retro match. Oh, my God. That's a throwback. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, in, in the West, I, I, I look at this and I say, look, Dallas has the significant advantage in goal in this series. And I mean, it's a significant advantage. I think 
both teams have top end guys, but I think Dallas has more balance. It's not going to be easy by any stretch, but I think I, I would err towards Dallas coming out of that series there, which is no shot against Vegas. I, I have a thing for Jack Eichel. You may know that. Um, yes, I, do. I don't trust their goaltending. I mean, again, the, the further you go, the more you get exposed. And I think that that, that, that the difference in the series to me will be Dallas will be able to score a little bit more at will relatively compared to Vegas against a much better goaltender. I think that's going to be the difference in that one. So give me Carolina and Dallas if I'm making picks. Well, like I said, or earlier, or, or Hartford and Minnesota if, if if you know you're old school. Yeah, yeah. If you're if, you, if you're very old, but um, yeah. Hi. What's amen? And you know, kind of circling back. This is another thing. Like Brian, you're what 39 years old? 38, 39. Um, you, you saw guys, that. If you guys want to, guys want to send checks? You know, I have medical bills now. <laughs> <laughs> but um, my point with that is, you know, you were a kid when the Rangers last won a Stanley Cup. I think people overestimate how often you can do this. Like sometimes you go 30, 40 years and don't win anything. You need to appreciate it while you can. Because it's I, not said this, uh, the, I said this. I said this. If you told a 10-year-old me that'd be pushing 40, they wouldn't have won again. I think you're nuts. And then here we are. Yeah. So, so that's why, you, hey, kids, that's why you don't celebrate first-round wins. But Because um, they don't matter. They don't matter. But um, I think both those series are toss-ups. I really do. I think that's why I had them both going seven. Like I would not. Like I, I have no clue who's going to win the Stanley Cup. I have zero idea. I think I think all teams have a very legitimate shot at doing it because, like you said, I, all the favorites got knocked out early, pretty much. So it's kind of like everyone's. Everyone feels it feels like everyone except maybe Carolina, and maybe Vegas are kind of playing on house money at this. Which, point. which makes it so much worse. Yeah. Because you look at it and you say, if you're a Ranger fan, if you're a Lightning fan, if you're a Boston fan. Wow, like you blew it. Yeah, because the teams that you thought you'd have a lot of trouble with aren't there. To be fair, the Rangers are were eleven and one in the regular season against the four teams that are left. So yes, it just it keeps getting worse. It's like um, you know, I'll go back to college football since that's what me and Guard know the best. It's like in twenty twelve when Georgia lost to Alabama in the SC championship game, and then Alabama beat Notre Dame by thirty one points. In the in the in the quote unquote official national championship game, but it's like man, if Georgia had just won, I think they would have won a title that year. And you know they blew it. You know, kind of like Boston, Colorado, uh, mm -hmm. the Rangers. You know, but at the same time, another thing about these playoffs, the one versus eight matchups didn't feel like one versus eight. It's obviously four to one, but like even a team like the Islanders, the Islanders played the Hurricanes better than the Devils did, and obviously mm -hmm. I think the Devils are a way better team. It's just you know, it's like I said. Records, they just they don't mean jack <laughs> once you get these. And I think it was Wayne Gretzky who said, I can't remember the exact quote, but it's something like there's three parts of a hockey season, the regular season, the first three rounds of the playoffs, and the Stanley Cup finals. I just think he's so right. I think there's just levels to everything there. Um, yeah. I, yeah. I, any, any more, I feel like the regular season is just preseason. Like it's the qualifying round. Like just get – you'll survive it. But I think these three-point games, they, they, they do two things. I think they tighten up the points – because everybody always getting points, but I feel as though it's less indicative of what you can do in the playoff start, right? Florida's not a bad team. They're in a tough division, and they barely got in. Okay. I mean, Boston was a very good team, but what I tell you, I said the Devils play a very good brand of regular season hockey, and if the Rangers didn't fold, did. we, we could say that. That's kind of what they did against Carolina. I mean, again, I, I would venture to say, respectfully, 
as respectfully as I can, the Devils didn't beat the Rangers. The Rangers lost. Yeah, I could see that. And that's where, you know, like like Florida didn't beat Boston. Boston lost. Mm-hmm. And then Florida ran with it because they ran into a cheap into a cheap suit Toronto. <laughs> so, yeah, and look, two teams I think are always great in the regular season: Edmonton and Toronto, because of the offense they have. But we saw what happened in the second round this year. I mean, we were hearing all after round one, Brian, all the, the – and we mentioned this earlier in the show, the Oilers had a 56% power play percentage. That's not sustainable. They, you need to get five-on-five. Five. And in this series, Vegas had double the amount of five-on-five five goals compared to the Oilers. And obviously, we all know what their defense and goaltending is. I mean, it's just useless. So I, I, got, I got football – you know me, you know, tie the box. Everybody loves to try to bother me, which they can't. But I got, I got football fans coming at me. Oh, look. Who's going to win the Stanley Cup, Brian? It's not going to be the Rangers. Probably going to be Boston Edmonton. I said, I don't like Edmonton a little bit because they have no goaltending. And odds will tell you Boston will not get out of the second round. They're like, I'm like, okay. Yeah. What happened? Now, these, <laughs> I'm just going to warn the audience. These next two topics, um, if you guys do not enjoy debate or, uh, you know, controversial opinions, uh, yelling, whatever, uh, click off the show right now. Try not to yell. Because it's. <laughs> This is about to get interesting. So a little fun stat here. Uh, three of the four teams to reach the conference finals this year, Brian, uh, Vegas, uh, the Panthers, and the Stars, which I got to say, when I, when I was looking this up, I was a bit surprised it wasn't Carolina because that's a team you expect to have it as well. Mm-hmm. Um, but I guess Vegas, I'm going to assume it's because of the casinos and stuff. I don't know for sure why Vegas is one. That kind of surprised me. Uh, but definitely, you know, Florida and Dallas don't surprise me at all. They come from st- uh, states with no state taxes. And Carolina was also one of the lowest. They had like 5.75%, something like that. Mm-hmm. They were like one of the lowest that didn't have any at all, or that, that did have some. Um, so, Brian, easy question for you, and I, I know you're about to go on a five-minute uh, tirade. Uh, should the NHL make their salary cap state tax adjusted? And for anyone that's not watching, maybe, you know, kind of explain what that means or whatnot sure. or, or whatever. Well, so here, uh, so here, here's the thing. The question you have to ask yourself is what does a salary cap do? What is the point, right? And then there's two things that it does. One, it creates cost certainty, meaning that you know at a maximum level, 32 or however many teams you have times your max cap is how much money will be spent on player salaries that year. Barring something crazy like, I don't know, a Russian winger missing the year and coming back in the playoffs. That hasn't happened in a while. Um, but the point is it, it gives the owners cost certainty. But it's also it's also meant to level the playing field so that teams that print money, like the New York Rangers and the Toronto Maple Leafs and the Boston Bruins, don't just accumulate all the talent. So, you know, the teams like the Buffalo Sabres and the, you know, Columbus Blue Jackets, like they don't have this ridiculous advantage over them and they can't do they can't do what the Yankees do, basically, where the Yankees can go sign anybody they want to. The only thing that restricts them is their own desire not to spend money because nobody cares. Yeah. What the Mets have done, frankly, right? That's what salary caps are meant to do. What I would contend to you is when you have teams like every team in Canada, for example, and certain teams around the country where you are in high tax states, which is, again, it's a matter of life. I'm I'm not saying there shouldn't be state taxes. This is not a political discussion. We're not going to do that. Mm -hmm. But then you have teams, there are six of them, which play in states where there are no state taxes. So essentially what you're saying is 
the same contract is a better result for the player on six teams. So if you're trying to level the playing field, I would contend to you that this does not accomplish that. And I'll give you an example. The highest paid player in the league this year from a dollar perspective was Tyler Sagan of the Dallas Stars. In Texas, there is no state tax. So all he pays is the federal tax rate in the United States, which is roughly 39% at his level. So of the $13 million that he made after federal tax, he gets about 7.8. Not a bad living, right? That's fine. If he were a member of the Toronto Maple Leafs, he would see just over $6 million. It's about a $1.7 million net difference in money he actually sees, right? But both of these teams can only spend to the same max cap. So... You can look at this one of two ways. Either Dallas offers the same money as Toronto, you'd be an idiot not to take Dallas's money, right? Because you're leaving money on the table. Or to, to provide the same player with the same outcome, Toronto has to spend about $2 million more. How is that fair? If you're trying to level a playing field and make it so no team has an advantage... How do you not account for the fact that six teams have a very clear inherent advantage? And then we start talking about these guys who have no movement clauses. And all of a sudden, you see a lot of the same teams on those no movement clauses. Predominantly, teams in Canada. Mm -hmm. Or teams in California, where the taste tax is high. Do you remember when Vegas tried to move Evgeny Dadanov at the deadline last year, tried to send him to Anaheim to create some cap space to do something else? Dadanov had a 15-team no trade. You know who was on it? The Anaheim Ducks. Do you want to know why? Because he would have lost money. It's a business at the end of the day. So I understood that. Like, well, yeah, I don't want to go to Anaheim. I'm going to make less money. You have to be cognizant of this. So I don't think a system, I don't think a system designed to level the playing field, which gives inherent advantages to certain teams, makes any sense. The biggest argument I get is, well, you know, Brian, I mean, you know, if you play in New York City or Los Angeles, you know, you're going to get like really cool, like uh, endorsements and stuff, right? Sure. So what you're telling me is it's fair to Buffalo, which is American Winnipeg, which is just depressing to live in and snows all the time, that you're going to pay more in taxes there than you would in sunny Miami, Florida (laughs) or Las Vegas, Nevada. And this is okay with you. Make it make sense. So those six teams, uh, I'll go ahead and list them off for the the viewers. Dallas, Florida, Vegas, Nashville, Seattle, and Tampa Bay. Um, No state taxes there. But, um, Garth, I'll I'll throw it to you here before I give my thoughts. Do you have any thoughts on this kind of uh, taxes debate and salary cap stuff? Am I rooting for it? No, because obviously it gives my team an advantage. And I think anybody who goes, I don't want my team to have any sort of advantage is lying. Uh, But do I think it's fair? No, absolutely not. I agree with what Brian's saying there. Um, Basically, you're giving a salary cap, but saying, you know, it's not really because these teams are going to have more money to spend than everybody else. You may remember this, Garth. Ryan Callahan signed 
for less money in Tampa than the Rangers were offering. Yeah. And Why? still made more, probably. Because his net was higher. And again, you you just have to be nuts not to think that this isn't a negotiation tactic among those six teams or that doesn't hurt the Canadian teams again or, or, or the teams in California. I mean, again, this is not unique to, you know, Canada versus the U.S. I mean, the effective tax rate for Anaheim and L.A. and San Jose is over 50 percent. The effective tax rate for Dallas is thir- just over 39. It's a big difference. And again, it, it you will pay more in taxes in Vancouver than you will in New York City. You'll pay more in taxes in Buffalo, frankly, because of the, the way that everything breaks breaks out. Like, it doesn't it, – it's not this, oh, you get other advantages. Yeah, you might. No, you don't control the weather. So, yes, a player might prefer to go play where it's warmer. Okay, sure, but the player's making a decision on that. He's not financially burdened by making that move. In fact, he's actually helped in this case. You know, Vegas and Dallas and Miami and Nashville, like these these are not exactly, um, you know, crap places to live. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's a little more fun probably than Buffalo and Columbus. You know, like, let's just be real. Like, yeah, you can't account for the weather and everything else. You could account for this. Just so, Brian, so Brian just, just to clarify, um, are you saying, so for example, let's give Toronto 13% more cap space than a, a team like Florida. Is that how you're proposing it? Well, no, I'm just saying you know what your net's going to be. Mm-hmm. You know specifically this is gross and this is net. You know this. So make the cap based on net. Very simple. Right. Make it so that one team, again, if – again, I'll, I'll use I'll use Austin Matthews as an example because I think that, that that makes a little bit more sense. Hold on. Where is where's Toronto here? I, I will tell you guys, by the way, Cap you, Friendly does a very nice job. Yeah, I knew you're goal. using the Cap calculator, aren't you? Yeah, well, because, you know, I mean, I, I'm a finance guy, but I don't know everybody's ta- – tax is not what I do. Mm-hmm. So if I look up Austin Matthews – now, Austin Matthews, believe it or not, only with, he made less than eight million dollars last year in actual dollars because don't, don't don't confuse don't confuse cap number AAV and actual cash like Panarin makes above his number and then it just goes down towards the end. If Austin Matthews were playing for Tampa Bay last year, he walks away with one point one million dollars more in his pocket. That's, that uh, look, I mean, like this, none of us. That's that's dollars, okay? Like I don't like I don't know what else to tell you. Like you'd be a moron if you didn't think about that. And these guys aren't morons. And if they are, the people that they hire to be their agents are not morons. And that's why, and I guess we'll kind of transition to my take on this. That's why teams like Toronto have four guys, three or four guys making over, I mean, what, you know, Marner's over 11 million, Matthews and Tavares are over 10 million. That's why our Timmy Panarin makes 11.6 million for the Rangers. It's not just because he's a great player when he signed it, which he was. Um, you know, I mean, that's even Connor McDavid, best player in the league. You think he's making 12 and a half million just because of the player he is or because Edmonton's a Canadian team and Canada, Canadian tactics take like over half your income pretty much. Um, I agree with you with this. I think this gives, uh, teams predominantly in the South, but you know, also places like Vegas and Seattle are exceptions, um, an unfair advantage. And, um, I think it, it's tough to deal with, right? Because obviously NHL can't control state taxes or whatever, but they can control the salary cap. And um, speaking of the salary cap, I have an opinion here that might be very controversial to some people, but it is something I believe. I believe the salary cap should either be raised massively or 
delete it all together. Because let's be honest, in my opinion, there's only one re- – you mentioned two reasons, but I think the main reason the salary cap exists is to help owners. It's not to help players. If we're up to the players, the salary cap wouldn't exist. They want a salary for um, – the owners want the salary cap. The salary cap doesn't help the players. It doesn't help managers. It doesn't even help the teams. It's there because owners, like you said, want to keep costs down. But at the same time, I don't think removing the salary cap either makes it so that every team is going to be out there with you know six times as much money. You look at it, and it doesn't mean you're going to win. Look at a team like the Mets, highest payroll in baseball. They just lost ten to two to the Nats the other day, who stink. Your your Yankees are spending about 10% as much money as they should on their team. They could spend $800 million. They don't because their owners are cheapskates. If you get rid of the salary cap, it doesn't change the fact owners are going to always be cheap. It just uh, reduces the limit. Now, I will say this. I I always support a salary floor because I think a salary floor helps the players. And I'm always going to be on the player sides in these debates because I think owners are, you know, greedy, selfish, millionaire, billionaire assholes, <laughs> you know, to put it, put it nicely pretty much. But um, regardless, they're never going to get rid of the salary cap. So to me, in my opinion, I agree with you. I think it should be tax-adjusted because if you don't make it tax-adjusted, you're, you're going to have these Canadian teams having you know guys making over $10 million when they could be making $8 million elsewhere. And, like, let's be honest. Like, John Tavares, he, he went to the Leafs because, I, you know, he's a Canadian guy and whatnot. But also, I mean, he had to jack up that contract for him to accept him because if, if they didn't, he'd be somewhere else right now. I mean, that's just the way it is. But it – it hurts, you know, teams like Canada, you know, New York teams, LA teams, and also benefits, you know, teams like the Lightning. Like, do you think the Lightning would have had as easy a time winning those Stanley Cups if, you know, their their state had like a ten percent income tax or, or whatever? Like, that's just the way it is. But um, like I said, I, I think I, the idea is they don't want the big markets to be able to do whatever they want, right? Because people say that in baseball. Like, if you're a Pittsburgh Pirates fan, guess what? You're never going to see your team win a World Series again. It's just not going to happen. It's yeah. it, like you, you, you need so much to break your way that it's just not likely. Like when the Royals won, I think in 2015, like that was a shock and a half. Like that never would have had like a statistical anomaly is what it is. Right. So I understand it. Right. But to put things in perspective, no, when there's no cap, it, 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 there's no guarantee you're going to win Jack. You know, the Rangers back in 04 Now the Rangers didn't make a playoffs from 98 to 04. Right. In 2004, their payroll was 76 and a half million dollars. When they were paying $9 million a year to stars like Bobby Holik and Darius Kasparaitis making six, like they didn't care because they print money, right? They don't care. That's $6 million less than their 20, than 20 years later, right? When everything's inflated and everything else. So you, when you start looking about what money was back then compared to now, the Rangers could outspend everybody. Glenn Sather is famous for saying when he was at Edmonton, well, if I had the New York Rangers pockets, I'd win every year. And then he got the New York Rangers pockets, couldn't get in the playoffs. So it's not always about money. You do have to still spend it judiciously. Yes. The cap makes you do that. But I, the problem that I have is the cap is going to force teams that to break apart, right? Like, it's just the reality of it. When the Rangers signed an Artemi Panarin and a Jacob Truba to this deal, right, People focus on the number. They should really be focusing on percentage of cap because that's what they signed for, right? If the cap keeps doing this, Panarin's money does not go up. It's the same AAV, but his percentage of the cap goes down. When the cap stays flat and it doesn't, that's the problem because you can't account for other growth on the team as the, as things move up. So the re- obviously the reason that the cap's where it is is because of COVID, that they had to get the whole year with nobody in buildings. 
So they had to make up for it. So they did they did this whole big thing, right? The cap's supposed to shoot up a little bit more after this season and then again after next because the escrow will be paid back. But at the same time, there you go. It's not if the cap is 92 million, no one's complaining as much about Jacob Drew making 8 million. Because yeah. 8 million is less of a percentage of what you're working. Cap hurts the Rangers. Cap hurts teams like 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 Tampa Bay who drafts well and wants to keep people, which is why which is why Breezebois will overpay for a Brandon Hagel because he's cost controlled. So you have him for longer without having to worry about all this. Again, it, it adds a layer to it. I don't think you, again, I believe salary caps as a general rule are meant to level the playing field, which doesn't help me. And I don't really care about, but if you're going to do that, do it the right way. Don't give teams an advantage. And we're seeing it now. There's no way you can't look at this and say, Six teams don't pay taxes. Three of them are in the final four. It's it's hard. You, you can't ignore that. Yeah, I agree. And I do understand, you know, the logic behind the salary cap. But at the same time, like I said, we see this in other sports. It's not always, you know, going to work that way. I mean, the Rangers, or the uh, Yankees haven't won a World Series since 2009. And they have the biggest market probably in the world, not just in baseball. So, I mean, and a team like the Mets can spend $500 million and be an absolute laughing stock of sure. professional sports. So, but I, I do understand it. Um, one one more question I want to ask you because I know you're a finance guy. Um, inflation, salary cap inflation versus contract inflation. Do you think there would so, for example, if, if the salary cap was twenty million more than it is now, do you think all contracts would be like twenty percent bigger than they are now, or do you think there would come a point once the salary cap got high enough to where it wouldn't really be an issue anymore and people would just kind of they kind of be fine with what they're getting? I think that depends on a lot of things. Like I think especially in pro football, um, when the quarterbacks come due for deals, the big ones get big money. And what happens is that the teams that have average ones pay them too much. And then that makes the big ones get paid a whole lot more. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, again, players are going to make more money as the cap goes up. That's easy, right? Yeah. And it's generally, <laughs> it's the free agent contracts that really blow up because some asshole who scores 15 goals because some teams got money as nobody on their team overpays that guy. That means the next guy who scores 15 goals. Well, that guy got this much money. What am I going to get? Right? Mm-hmm. Like I think Darnell nurse is a disaster contract for Edmonton, but now some other defenseman who's going to come in and say, well, that's what that guy got. So different than like houses and comparables. Like here's what I did. Here's what that guy did. That guy got this. I'm better than that guy. So I deserve this. Like it's really, when you get to these millions and millions of dollars, it's not even about the money anymore. It's about I'm better than him, so I need to be paid more than him. And you see that way more in the NBA where certain guys give a max deal. Then there's a super max deal. Then there's a super mega max deal. I don't know what the hell's the term is now. But yeah. like they just come up with shit to make it sound like you're making all this money just to stoke your ego. And that's all that it is. So I don't necessarily know that salaries would blow up. I think you're always going to have the elite guys making elite money. And then you're always going to have the the bottom guys making low money. But what I think happens is when you overpay the middle guys, it raises everybody just by the nature of comparison. A couple comments coming in. Uh, Mike says, let's go Rangers. Next coach is going to be Mike Sullivan. Mike, I'll I'll push you off the roof if that happens. It's not. I know Brian was winding me up a a week or two ago about that, but yeah. It's not happening. We're not getting Kyle dumbass in as, as our GM. Um, I live an hour from Buffalo. It doesn't snow all the time, just most of the time. It's, we didn't we didn't get 
a single snowflake in South Jersey this year. Because uh, I bought a snow shovel, naturally. But that's good. Yeah. Uh, Michael Faree says, what about a pool to sign your own picks? You shouldn't be handicapped if you draft all. I know the NBA – or not the uh, – the MLB does this. They have, like, a draft pool, whatever you want to call it. You have a certain un- – bonus allotments, that's what they're called. You have a certain amount of money to sign your draft picks with. Um, but the M- MLB is also the different. Like, they're, they're, their whole uh, control system is based around arbitration, whereas that's not really as important. In other sports, it's all about RFAs versus UFAs. So – um, again, I don't have all the answers. I'm not a finance guy. I'm not an accountant or whatnot, but, uh, I do think it needs to be, be fixed because I mean, it, here, I'll use one of your favorite, uh, slogans, Brian, simple math. It's simple math. Okay. If you can save millions of dollars playing for Tampa, you're going to do that unless you're either, unless you have such an attachment team that you don't care about that, or you're just not too bright, which in my opinion with Austin Matthews, I don't think he's too bright. But that's just well, me. I mean, maybe you just slept in Maple Leafs bed sheets when you were a kid, so you're gonna go sign with them. And I think that's what it what it was with John Tavares. Sure. But um yeah, sometimes I think it's it's just gonna come down to money. Now, uh, another thing, we didn't get to talk about this last week because even though it was last Monday, um there really wasn't anything to talk about. The second round was still very early. So um the NHL draft lottery last Monday. Uh, the Philadelphia Flyers did not win the number one overall pick because they suck at sucking. I uh, love to see it. Uh, the Chicago Blackhawks, who I believe uh, were, had the third best odds behind Anaheim and Columbus, they won the draft lottery. Um, Anaheim, I feel so bad for these guys, man. The, the, both the Crosby and Bedard years, I think they drafted number two overall. Uh, they had the highest odds. They're drafting second. Columbus uh, will go number three, and then everyone, all the other uh, – Predictions were the exact same. It was just Columbus or Colorado. Or fuck Chicago moving up two spots to draft number one. We know what you meant. Yes. Yes. <laughs> so Garth, I will start with you on this one because this is always the, the topic of contention. Whenever a draft lottery goes away, someone does not like, do you think the draft lottery is rigged? Oh God. Hit me with the big one here. <laughs> hey, it's like I said, you log off. If you guys don't want debate in the next couple of seconds, man. Uh, you know, I mean, at the end of the day, is it a business? Are they trying to make as much money as possible and have big, huge sports markets? Absolutely. So is the possibility there? Yeah. Uh, whether or not is was this one rigged, I, I don't know. I, I probably would lean towards the side of they, uh, they probably uh, did some things behind the scenes to help the Blackhawks get the number one pick. Um, and also, thankfully, because of like you mentioned, the Flyers suck at sucking. Uh, I'm so thankful that Connor Bedard is not going to be a Philadelphia Flyer. Um, and two, you know, if you have a generational type of talent, obviously if you're the NHL, you want him to go to a bigger market team because it's going to be easier to market him, uh, easier to attract viewership, ticket sales, all of that. So, you know, everything makes sense. For them to have wanted him to go to Chicago, obviously. I know some executives actually came out saying that it was rigged. That was kind of a, a curious thing to see that it, they let that get out to the mainstream media and it was voiced. Um, I don't know, though, Noah. Like I said, probably. I can't say I know for a fact, though. What about you, Brian? Because uh, obviously you're a team that in the past few years has been very blessed by the lottery. <laughs> you were in the play- playing round and won the first overall pick, which, which is why they changed the rules pretty much. Um, what wow. do you think about this whole NHL draft lottery is rigged uh, conversation? So a couple things. When you go back to the the 
COVID lottery, right? Mm -hmm. If you go back to how they did that, they basically assigned all the playoff, the weird eight placeholder teams, a combined 21.5% shot. Yeah, I remember that because when that team won the lottery, we had no idea who it was, right? They revealed right. it later. And then they did a lottery for the lottery, right? Yeah. So I am not at all surprised because there was a one in five shot that it would be an open team, which was the highest odds, right? Mm -hmm. So, again, I'm not entirely there. But here's the thing, right? Why didn't Anaheim win the lottery? Well, because Anaheim had an 18.5% chance of winning, which means they had an 81.5% chance of not winning. Yeah. They do it like an actual lottery, and they did. It's on YouTube, right? So basically, they get the 13, 14 balls, they put them in. And it's like the pick four, like you're buying, like the, the actual lottery. And then each team has X percentage of those numbers. Not hard. Having said that, I did say, you know, in December that Chicago is going to win the lottery. <laughs> yeah. It, I, I look, I do not think that it is rigged by any means, but I would also say that. When teams are actively tanking, there's a good reason for it because all you're doing is creating more and more chance. I'm not surprised that Chicago won, but it's not rigged. And it's not rigged because you would need a lot of people to shut up to be for in a on long it. time and not blab, right? Like, this is not the, oh, it's a frozen envelope for Patrick Ewing. Like, <laughs> it's a, it's like, it's broadcast. Now, what I, what I will tell you, is I think they would be better off broadcasting it, period, right? Like, I feel as though if you – and, like, put the numbers out beforehand. Like, people let people watch. And that, that would actually be really awesome television. Like, I think that, that would be great, right? Mm -hmm. But they do it the way they do it because they just, like, back into who's number one. When the Rangers won the draft lottery, I mean, that was must-see TV, right? And every team had the same shot because it was just one ball, whatever ball came up. This is not how they do the draft lottery. If, if you have numbers two, five, eight, and eleven, and that's your that's your number, and you it's like winning the little you're winning a lottery, a pick four. Mm -hmm. I don't think that it's rigged. I think that the league is not unhappy that Chicago won the lottery. But let's remember, greatest player in the world plays in Western Canada. Don't tell me it's rigged because they would have fixed that one. So a couple things for the for this whole thing. First of all. Um, I think the, the most obvious thing is that nothing you see on the actual broadcast of a lottery proves that it's rigged because the lottery, the teams already know who's won the lottery before we see it. Like the lottery was done before this whole presentation where yeah. some idiot didn't flip over a card correctly or, or what have you. So that's number one. Number two, first of all, I'll say, I don't think it's rigged for a couple of reasons. Number one, the one I just said, number two, and Brian, you alluded to this, if it was rigged, someone would have already blabbed right now. Maybe not directly, but like there'd be some WikiLeaks or some bullcrap like that. So you, if some team got absolutely screwed over, say if Anaheim was pissed that they lost out on Crosby and Bedard, you don't think you know some they'd have some anonymous agent or they'd hire some Russian guy to hack into some server or something and leak it to a news. Like, there's no way. There's too many elements there that you have to shut up. Like, okay, well. Even if they get assassinated, which I don't think would happen over a fucking draft lottery, like someone would do it, you know, like much worse stuff as much more serious stuff has gotten leaked than a draft lottery. And number three, like, like you said, it's best odds versus majority. Anaheim had the best odds, but there's still an 81% chance, 
right, that they're not going to win the first overall pick. That's why more often than not, you don't see a team that has number one odds right. get the pick. Now, I understand, and you know, I know you're a big proponent of tanking. I am too. Um, I wish the, the Pins had lost 20 more games so they could have had a shot to win the lottery. It is, but I saw I saw somebody on Twitter say, I watched the Pistons win 17 games to pick fifth overall. <laughs> and I responded and said, should have won 16. Better yet, should have won two. Yeah. But like that's just again, I have no problem with the draft lottery as an idea because again, you don't want to overtly encourage tanking, but you'd be a moron not to realize it is the optimal thing to do if you're not going to win. That's all. I think I think my main thing against draft lottery is I understand the logic. I just think it's flawed because it doesn't stop teams from tanking. It just uh, makes it so they're not guaranteed to get the number one pick, right? Instead of tanking for number one pick, you're tanking for the best chance at the number one pick. I mean, that's just how it is. But um, a couple other things. Like, if we look at some of these past number one overall picks, like, none of these make sense if you think it's rigged. Like, Owen Power to Buffalo, Jack Hughes, New Jersey. I know you're the one who always says Brian, New Jersey has 12 fans, like, why they, they would have rather had uh, the Rangers win that draft lottery if it was all about uh, rigging it. Um, Edmonton, and, and I will say, I do like that the with the draft lottery, they introduced that rule to where you can't win it more than twice in five years because Edmonton just three straight years. I mean, that was a joke. Um, but I mean, like Stan Coast to Tampa, definitely Tampa back then wasn't what I'd call a, you know, a powerhouse hockey market. Eric Johnson to the Blues. Um, okay, people will say the Pens, but like, do you think when when the Pens got Mario Lemieux that they were a team that was selling out every game and everyone the Pens they were at risk of folding? Okay, before they got Mario Lemieux. So there, so there is a school of thought that the NHL does things to help teams that aren't profitable on their own. So the same people that will say, oh, it's rigged because Chicago got it and Chicago stinks in their original six team. If they were going to rig it for anybody, it probably would have been for, for Arizona, right? Because like that's you needed you need a reason for that franchise to be viable, which we found out as of yesterday is probably not going to happen in Arizona. They yes. don't rig it to help their big markets. They actually don't give a shit about their big markets, which is the dumbest thing in the world because if I were running things I would try to make it better for my big markets because they actually make money for me right like it's like baseball keeps trying to change the rules to appease people that don't watch baseball and it's like I don't really understand what you're doing the NHL seems to be more I mean they like ESPN hates this Gary Bettman's probably very excited because people are going to watch it in Dallas and in Florida the people that don't autom- they don't sell out all the time you can go to Panthers ticket for regular season game for probably five bucks. I mean, oh, Garth, yeah. you know this for the longest time. Tampa was not a hockey hotbed. I mean, not until they got really good that now it's okay. Now it's hard to get a ticket when the Rangers are bad. You can't get a ticket. So it's not a matter of that. It's they try to prop up smaller markets as opposed to go all in on bigger markets. I think it's a flawed strategy. I don't think that you should be hurting your, your money makers. I'm just rational and I happen to root for one, but you know, it's just, I don't, I don't think that that's smart business. I don't think the NFL does that. I don't think the NBA does that. I don't think baseball does that either. And let's be honest. Like, I think if you look at any of these teams, you, you could make any conspiracy about it being rigged for sure. any of these teams. Like Anaheim, pretty big market. Um, Columbus, uh, Bedard and Goudreau or whatever, what have you. Chicago, obviously original six team. Um, Mont- Montreal, most oh, successful no, no, no. team in history. Cole Caulfield, Nick Suzuki, all those guys, Slash Copsy last year. I mean, that would have been a, a good opportunity for rigging. Arizona, 
I know I saw you post this, uh, Brian. If Arizona got Connor Bedard, trade him to the Maple Leafs for Austin Matthews because that's uh, his hometown team or whatever. Everyone likes to link him to. Look, I'll just say this. I'm not mad that the Blackhawks won the draft lottery. I understand why. Uh, they had that controversy. People aren't too happy with them. I get it. But that's not – first of all, everyone involved with that, I believe, was fired. Um, and number two, that's not Connor Bedard's fault. But I'm just mainly happy the Philadelphia Flyers did not win because if they won this draft lottery, oh, my God. <laughs> dude, I would literally go into a cave. So I will I will say this. I, I This takes me I, – I have no pleasure to report this, right? As somebody who has had the, the pleasure, true pleasure – we had Danny Briera on the sports box with us during the pandemic. Yes. We had Keith Jones on with us right before the pandemic playoffs. They're both really good hockey guys, right? So mm-hmm. I do feel as though they will find a way to make that better. I think I think I I went back and forth on, you know, why hire Keith Jones, but I heard him on a podcast recently. He's a he's just a great orator, right? Like he understands media. So I think he's the voice of what they're trying to do. And I think that, that makes a lot of sense. I think Briere is a very sharp hockey mind. So I do think that they will find their way over time. If they're given the time to do so, maybe they won't be. I don't take any pleasure in that because obviously losers in 75, but you know, it, these are not the stereotypical nepotism flyer hires where they bring in these guys who played there 30 years ago. And now, Ron you know, the, yeah. Or, or the bill barbers or the ball home grins or, you know, laundry list. And, and Tortorella, to his credit, said that like, why, why is it like a disease to have to have played played for this team? Like, mm-hmm. I I understand where he was coming from. It, it depends on the individual. See, Brian, I was having a great show, and then you reminded me about the I, fact like, that Ron Hextall was employed by Pittsburgh, and now I'm sad again. <laughs> well, listen, I, you know what's but listen, we talked about this. Pittsburgh brings in a rebuilding GM, doesn't go into rebuild doesn't do anything that he's really generally good at, and then is surprised when it failed miserably. Okay, well, sure. I mean, that's – yeah, absolutely. Trade a first-round pick for Joe Pavelski, guys. I know you want to do it. I know you want to do it, man. We talked about uh, it, though. You, you hey, thought that this was a sign of, of, of turning the corner. That I they thought were it was. Do it. And it just – they did everything, the exact opposite of everything you thought they would do. Yeah. Absolutely, it made no sense, and and yeah. and 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 I think that you know if there's teams staring down the barrel of a gun as far as years of irrelevancy, I got to tell you, I think they're one of the teams that are because which is which is fine. Like okay, so there's a lot of talk. Oh, the Rangers should trade Lafreniere to Vancouver for 11 overall, and I'm like, you're a moron, right? We can have a conversation around trading Lafreniere if it makes sense. The Rangers that's are about draft that's trading right a former number one for an 11. It th- doesn't even matter to me. The guy who's going to pick at 11 is not going to see daylight for three years. They're in their window now. They don't care. That's true. You're like, you're like, like understand where your team is in the cycle and mm-hmm. do that, right? So the problem with Pittsburgh is I think they left the, the, the part of the cycle where you should be going all in a couple of years ago and never got out of it. They keep trying to put Band-Aids on gunshots. Mm-hmm. I don't think that that's going to work, right? The Rangers are in a – whether you think they're good enough or not, they think they're in a contention spot in the cycle. I think they probably are, right? Yeah, Who and they cares? made the they made the right moves. They just didn't win. Sure, which, again, I, I, everybody wants to bash Drew. Oh, you got Patrick – you gave up nothing for Patrick Kane. Idiotic. Don't worry about it. But the point is, like, oh, they need to go get draft picks. I'm like, we just went into a rebuild and just came out of it. They're not going to go into it again with guys on long-term contracts. Like, this is the part where you mortgage the future, you borrow future picks to make your team better now because when it goes the other way, you'll be trading these guys for picks to make up for it. Like, people don't understand, like, the economic cycle of sports teams is up and down. 
They don't yes. see it that way. They think they're going to be okay every year. And I'd much rather do this. I don't want to be in purgatory all the time. Mm-hmm. I don't. That makes no sense. It's a waste of my time. Go in when you have the hand, sell off when you don't. And look, I agree. And I understand why, you know, Pittsburgh did what they did. But at the same time, there's a difference between trading a first for Phil Kessel and trading a, for a second, a high second for like Patrick Marlowe or whatever they were doing. Trading a second this year for Mikhail Granlund to be our third line center making five million a year. It just makes no sense. Um, I will say one last thing. You, you brought up Lafreniere. Um, we don't, I don't want to turn this into a Ranger show, although I'm sure you'd love that. But in my opinion, I think Lafreniere is actually a guy they should be giving more time to in the next few years because he's been buried as their third line right winger for what, the past three years? Yeah. I, I feel like that was one of the worst teams, Brian, that he could have gone to because they already had their wings established, right? And look, he gets no play. And I, I understand it, you know, he had no points or whatever, but like, if Artemi Panarin even has an average playoff series, they win that series in mm-hmm. five or six. It's not the the kids on the third line's fault, in my opinion, that they lost that series. He's just – I just think he's a guy – like, if you ask me today, would you, if I was a Rangers DM, would I rather try and trade – and I know it would never happen, but would you rather trade Artemi Panarin or Lafreniere? I'd say Panarin in sure. a heartbeat yeah. because no contract, age, whatnot. But also, Lafreniere's a guy that wants to get more playing time, right? He's not like – Five years from now, he's not going to be like, man, I'm ready to sign, re-sign with the Rangers to be their third-line winger. He's going to say, you know what? I'm going to go to a team that's absolute junk, but I can be their first-line guy, score 25 goals, and make something my career. Like, uh, for a number one pick, to, you know, I, I feel bad for him. He kind of feels like yeah. the whipping boy to me. David Quinn was on the Cam and Strick podcast uh, after he was let go by the Rangers, and he pretty much said, like, those guys are going to be fine. The problem is most guys that get drafted in those positions go to teams where they're going to get top six time and power play time. Because they stink. That's why you're picking number one, right? Connor Bedard's got no one to play with in Chicago. Premiers play every position because there's nobody else there. They broke it apart. So, like, everyone's like, they, they, rush, they rush to sell a 21-year-old like this kid is, like, 30. I don't really understand that. They've done nothing to help him at all. He's the third line because they they won't move Panarin or Kreider to the right, and they, he doesn't really do the right very well. I would move Panarin over personally, neither here nor there. They haven't helped the kid. They've done nothing to support the kid. He doesn't get the power play time to get his confidence up. Like they've literally done him wrong at every step. And you can see the same exact thing about Capo Caco. And only recently have you seen Hedl kind of break out. So the idea that they're going to rush to get rid of a roster, I don't, I don't care if he was picked first or a hundredth. It's a 40 point guy for about two and a half million dollars. There's value to that. The idea that you're going to go get a draft pick is nonsense. I'm not opposed to trading anybody. In fact, if I could get my hands on Clayton Keller in a bigger deal, I don't care. Go. Like, I'm trying to win. But that doesn't mean you give guys away. Like, people bring up Vitaly Kravtsov. I was attacked today. Like, oh, you wanted them to keep Kravtsov. I said, no. I wanted them to at least give him a shot to know for sure that he stinks before you move on from a ninth overall pick. Because what you don't want is him to end up somewhere else and play really well and make you look stupid more so than you already are for drafting in ninth overall. So right. people don't get it. Like there's no there's no patience, there's no nothing. They wanna they bash they bash everybody. Like everybody. Like no one is safe outside of the goaltender. And even that people said <laughs> Igor lost in the series. I'm like, sure he did. Yeah. Okay. I, Igor was their best player. <laughs> it's just it's like kind of I'll give it to you this way. In line with the cheerleading argument where people look for the positives they also ignore the glaring negatives because that's not 
fun, right? For the Rangers, and again, I'm not, I'm promising I'm not going to go off a Ranger tangent, but just because you brought it up. If it was Tarasenko and Kane that had really bad playoffs and that was why they lost, that is such an easy answer that it's okay. Oh, well, the, the, the rentals didn't work. Fill it up again. The problem is $20 million worth of Panarin and Zibanejad let you down and you can't get away from them. So that's why it's like you want to blame the guys that are easy targets because it's really uncomfortable to say, wow, the guy I'm paying $8.5 million to for the next seven years gave me one goal. The guy I'm paying 11-6 for the next three years didn't even give me that. I mean, that's a very uncomfortable conversation because you can't get out of those perception problems. Mm-hmm. Whereas if you can blame, ah, Lafreniere, I get rid of that guy. Who's not whatever. Ah, Patrick Kane sucked. Why'd they give up anything for him? He was a uh, broken hip, whatever. That is such a lazy argument that you're not watching anything because he was the third highest scorer for the team in a bad series. So yeah. It, it, yeah. it all comes to a desire to find some positive and some positive sometimes is ignoring the glaring negative. Look, I mean, it, it may be an uncomfortable reality, but it's still reality. And, you know, if you want your team to improve, you have to, you have to ask those hard questions. Um, you know, that's just, that's just part of being a fan. Like once again, you know, I've been called, uh, the, I swear some of my opinions I've had about like the Falcons or whatnot, like you would, you would, you would believe that I told these other Falcons fans, I hope you and your entire family die in a house fire, based on how they react to some of my opinions. Okay, like it, it's nuts, man. Like, come on, like, and like I, you know, last thing, and I know Brian agree with it. This is not just a game, okay? This is a way of life, and when it's a way of life, and you don't win, you're gonna be pissed off for a very long time. Listen, if. If you're a Ranger fan and that game didn't just crush you, you're not a Ranger fan. And I'm not telling you that because I'm taking a shot at you. You're just not. And that's okay. Mm-hmm. It's okay. It is okay to treat sports like entertainment, like something that just takes your mind off everyday life. The problem is, for me, they are everyday life. So I don't, I will be stewing about this for months it's okay if you don't i'm not telling you that you have to but don't put us on the same don't come to me like oh they're so great they're good ah, they won it is not going to mean two percent to you what it's going to mean to me if and when and that's fine that's nothing wrong with that but don't don't fake it that's all just don't just be whatever fan you want to be but then don't talk nonsense to me don't tell me who you're going to trade this yeah it's, it's a way listen. of life Way it's we play this game for rings and parades and that is all that fucking matters i don't want to hear about oh they had a very good season you know they won 54 games and they only won 40 a year ago cool they also didn't get out of the first round who the fuck gives a shit why do you care is your life so depressing outside of this that you need this to be the only positive thing in your life my life's great so i worry about this nonsense yeah i'm not yeah. i'm not trying to like i'm not trying to play that game but like I don't need sports to escape me from my life. I need sports to win something for me because I've been chasing a high that I felt when I was 10 and now I'm 40. Like I want that, right? Like that's what's important to me. And and I'm not saying it has to be important to anybody else, Mm -hmm. but understand that if you're taking something of no meaning and attaching meaning to it, you are a cheerleader and it's okay to do that. Don't pretend that you're not own it. 
And that's okay. Own your pom-poms. It's fine. Buy yeah, enough to wear. Get the pom-poms out. <laughs> Do it. Yeah. And my, I'm not surprised that they're down 3-1. The it's the wolf bag. But that's all right. That's And again, we'll get into the – I'm sure you guys will talk about Rangers coaching hires. I think – Yes. It might be it might be Chris Knobloch after the series. I'm not I'm not I've heard him. <laughs> I saw who you wanted, Mr. Quinville. Is that right? Yeah, I, I'm still on that. You know, look, I'm the kind of look, so Jalen Carter killed somebody? Yeah. Whatever. Okay. But he's a great he's a great football player, man. I, I I pay you to do a job, whatever. Like I don't care. Like I does that make me an asshole? Fine, then I'll I'll wear that proudly. I don't give a shit. You know, that I remember I'm a Cowboys fan, right? I remember they, they sent every criminal and they they signed uh, Greg Hardy and oh he beats him. Okay, let them deal with that. Can you get to the quarterback? Good. Play the right side. Like, I don't have to like you. You're there to do a job. The, the guy at McDonald's that you gives you your Big Mac, I'm sure he has some problems in his life too, but you don't get in his case about it. So, like, get over it. <laughs> it it's a business first, man. That, yeah. That's all that matters. Winning, win, winning is all that matters. Just win. They don't ask how. They ask <laughs> how many. Al Davis. Good old, good quote right there. Um Last note before we do wrap it up for the night, I just want to say, based on Brian's own metrics, out of the three teams represented here on the Saki podcast, my team had the most productive season because that's we right. had the highest draft picks. So, um, hey, you want to speak about consolation prizes? I guess that's my consolation prize. But regardless, uh, that is going to do it for our segments tonight. Um, pleasure to have you on, Brian. Always good. Good to- pleasure. It was all on this side of the table. You know that. <laughs> yep. Um, Garth, do you have anything you want to say before we kind of wrap it up here for tonight? Uh, just a huge thank you to everybody that tuned in, commented. Uh, huge thank you to Brian for coming on with us. Love when he comes on. I just kind of get to soak it all in. <laughs> I yeah. enjoy it. Uh, but yeah, another really good show. Uh, and hopefully my predictions will be much better this round because it's been absolutely abysmal so far for these playoffs. If I offended anyone, good. You deserve it. <laughs> hey, hey. It, like if you get offended by sports opinions, just log off, man. Like it's not, it's not that big a deal, but um, yeah. Uh, from myself, Noah dog diver, my co-host, a good buddy, guard charger, Patrick, and our special guest and good friend, Brian, Atard. this has been another episode of pucking around here on the Rebian preview sports network until next time. Uh, enjoy the playoffs. Uh, hopefully your teams don't suck it up and keep pucking around. We'll see you next time.